Community banks and credit unions are under increasing pressure to enhance cybersecurity. But with limited budgets and resources, as well as trained staff, this can be an extremely challenging task. Federal banking regulators, as part of their new cybersecurity exams, are pushing smaller institutions to prove how they are enhancing cybersecurity. Now chief information security officers at these institutions and their C-level executives are redirecting many of their efforts. Here, Scott McGillibray, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Pacific Continental Bank, a $1.7 billion institution based in Eugene, Oregon, explains some of the steps he's taking to enhance cybersecurity at his institution. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Scott, what are some of the challenges smaller institutions face when it comes to improving security in a so-called loosely coupled legacy environment? I think one of the things that is different about a smaller organization or a smaller bank versus a large one is that we don't really have a dedicated team for cybersecurity. So it becomes the responsibility of, of system owners. And typically in, in smaller organizations, those systems have been added over time. Time. So you have core processing group or the data processing group may own core processing, but maybe a loan origination group or the lending side may own a loan origination system. And those two really don't have anything to do with each other other than a small exchange of information. Managing security in that environment and creating a, a common security language and a common set of security practices becomes very difficult. Uh, just because you don't have the staff and the resources to be able to build uh, a single platform or a single SSO solution that works across all of them. Scott, would you say that outsourcing some of these business functions and technologies to core service providers is more of a hindrance than a benefit when it comes to security enhancements? I think there are two sides to that. The vendors themselves in an outsourced environment have to comply with some fairly strict rules regarding security and regarding you know, their, their control of information. And so internally, they tend to be very good with uh, the way they manage security. The problem is, is that they don't really have any incentive to work with each other and interact with each other when you deal with multiple vendors. And so it's left for the bank and the, the CIO or the, the information security officer to find a way to put all of those different security protocols into a common administrative framework or some way that they can use them consistently across all of the vendors. And that becomes a real big challenge. So Scott, how are you overcoming some of these challenges and how are you working with vendors and other third parties to address security gaps? I think one of the first things that you have to do from a security standpoint is make sure that you've built a central set of rules governing security for all of these different systems. That usually means centralizing control of things like user administration and access control, that sort of thing, rather than letting sort of the traditional system owner administration model take place. It also requires a little more robust change management process and, and being able to provide an audit trail of what changes were made and why those changes were made in order to provide, again, a consistent story to auditors and regulators about what you're doing and also make sure that you're not introducing or, or missing any gaps in the way that you're managing security internally. Those are the biggest things that you can do right off the bat to improve your security posture. Scott, can you talk at all about how some of these strategies have impacted or been influenced by your cybersecurity examination initiatives? I think these strategies have helped us in identifying flaws in our security posture that we could remedy and also that our security auditors have come in and found that the controls that we're building have increased our security pretty significantly. We're taking this very seriously all the way from the board level all the way down to the people who are on the front line and building security and building the mindfulness of security into everything that we do. Uh, rather than make this something that we think about once a year or something that only a select few people think about, the way to really accomplish the type of security that we need in this environment is to socialize it and 
make it just part of everybody's job responsibility and something that everybody thinks about as they make changes in their work or as they conduct business during the day. That awareness is probably more important than any technical control that you put in place. Scott, has your institution actually undergone one of these cybersecurity examinations? We have not yet. As I think I mentioned, we are asking our internal auditors or our third-party auditors to place additional emphasis on cybersecurity as part of their normal audit schedules because we take it very seriously. But we have not undergone yet an official dedicated cybersecurity exam here. And so then in this process that you've been working through, has your executive team gotten over the notion or belief that being a smaller institution means that you're immune to certain cyber threats? I think they have. And you know, I think one of the easiest ways to, or one of the most effective ways that I've found to, to get that sort of buy-in, not only from the executive team, but also from the board of directors, is to provide some education. You know, As we see in today's world, there are plenty of threats that are overblown. There are plenty of things that, that people are told about that are, that are just terrible that uh, are going to kill you at any moment. And cybercrime, and, and hacking and those sorts of things just sort of fall into that bucket in the mind share of most people. And so being able to explain to them what the actual risks are, what likely vectors we have to deal with, and those sorts of things are, are really valuable in getting buy-in from the executive team and the board to be able to pursue cybersecurity initiatives. Scott, something else that you've noted that I'd like for you to elaborate on here a bit is the false belief that your organization won't be a target. That's not something that your institution faces. That's something that a lot of businesses face. And in fact, because they have this notion or this false belief that they won't be a target, it's really fueled many data breaches. Can you elaborate a bit about how this inability to recognize some of the risks that you have can really make you vulnerable to a lot of the breaches that we've seen? Sure. You know, it's one of the paradoxes, I think, of being in a business that you want to be big enough that you're important and big enough that everybody notices you. But when it comes to cybersecurity, suddenly you're a very small person and you're a very small organization. And, and why would anybody worry about me when there are such other big fish out there? But cybersecurity and cybercrime actually is really a, a cost-benefit game. So when a cyber criminal looks at somebody like JP Morgan or they look at one of the, you know, the really big banks, they're going to say, well, there's a tremendous amount of data in there that's very valuable. It's going to be very, very expensive for me to go get that. And instead of going after JP Morgan and getting 1,000 pieces of information, say, what if I went after 20 smaller organizations where their security isn't as effective, and maybe I can get 2,000 pieces of information out of that for about the same amount of work, just because I won't have to work as hard. So yeah, at that point, the, the cost-benefit analysis would point you at working on the smaller organizations who maybe don't have as effective a security posture. The other, I think, big misconception is that you have somebody in China or this team of hackers in China is going to go attack my firewall wall and they're going to just beat on it until they get in and then they're going to breach and they're going to follow something that they saw on CSI or some other TV show. When in reality, the type of cybercrime that most of these smaller businesses and financial institutions for that matter are exposed to are things like ransomware, where a piece of malware gets into a computer network and encrypts a bunch of valuable information and says, you know, until you send us 300 bitcoins to some you know, anonymous address, you're not going to get your data back. That's something that can affect anybody. It can be from an owner-operated 
you know, single sole proprietor business all the way up to a, you know, fairly good sized financial institution. And unless you have mitigating strategies in place to deal with that in the form of backups and better uh, controls and the human factor and those sorts of things, you're absolutely a target because it doesn't cost anything to target you. So that shifts the economics of, of the problem uh, very much in favor of the cyber criminals and makes it a lot easier for uh, them to go after the smaller businesses. So because of those things, it's just far more likely that cybercrime is going to hit a smaller business than it is a significantly larger business. So Scott, how does a CIO or a CISO or even a customer relationship manager convey the seriousness of the threat landscape to management and customers without alienating them? You know, that's a very good question. One of the big struggles that we face is that there are so many threats that are given to people every single day. You know, people are told about Ebola and terrorists and and everything else, and cyber threats kind of fall into that same bucket where people hear about them all the time and it just sort of uh, becomes background noise. And I think one of the best ways that I've found is to show a bit of empathy and, and to be able to tell people relatable stories. That's usually the most effective way to teach people and to be able to relate it to them. And so just like a doctor may sit down with a, a diabetic patient and say, listen, you know, I, I understand that what this is, what I'm asking you to do is difficult, but giving up sugar is going to be really important because you're going to feel better and your family will have you around longer and all of those sorts of things. You kind of have to take the same approach with cybersecurity where you kind of have to explain the benefits and what's in it for me and why this isn't a world-ending problem. This is something that's absolutely manageable and something that, that's achievable without an enormous amount of effort. You just have to take a little better care of yourself or a little better care of your systems than you might be doing right now. And making it so that it's not this enormous scary thing that's just inevitably going to hurt me, but is something that's manageable with a little extra effort and maybe a lifestyle change here or there makes it a lot easier message for people to digest and come to terms with. And I've generally found that to be the most successful approach. So Scott, what is some of the advice that you would offer to other banks similar to your size when it comes to either educating their staff or educating their customers or just some of the attacks that they should be focused on in general? I think the first thing that I would uh, encourage all banks to do is to become more involved with your vendors. You know, for smaller financial institutions, the general model is to outsource your core processing, outsource very key pieces of your technology operation to these very large vendors that don't really have any interest in helping you achieve your security unless there's money in it for them. And the only way that that's going to change is that a lot of these smaller financial institutions start becoming more vocal about the need for a consistent security delivery mechanism you know, between the vendors and, and what they're doing internally and, and be able to accomplish that in, in sort of a team approach rather than as a customer who's getting these things to work with from the vendor. That's one of the biggest things. The other thing that I would really recommend is to start thinking longer term and thinking strategically about where your technology is going to be in three to five years and look at how security is going to be integrated with that along the way. You know, there's sort of a knee-jerk reaction, I think, where you end up with an audit finding or an exam finding uh, related to cybersecurity. And, and the first instinct is to run right out and find a way to patch that hole or, or plug that hole or, or fix that problem. And a lot of the times, what you're doing is going to hamstring 
further change or further opportunity down the line. And I would really advocate for a more long-term strategic approach to resolving those issues. You know, if you've got an audit finding, if somebody's identified a problem with your security posture, you of course need to fix that, but you should be fixing it in the context of what your overall strategic plan will be. Otherwise, it's going to be just more and more difficult to achieve your strategic and, and technological goals without creating new security risks because you, you've had to do an end run around the ones you put in place previously. And the last and most important thing that I would uh, recommend for any CIO or CISO in my position in any organization, whether they're a bank or any other company of any size, is to make sure that the rest of your executive team and your board of directors are really educated on the actual real-world risks of cybersecurity and how it affects their business. You know, for a bank, cybersecurity should be considered at the same level of importance as things like credit risk and liquidity, interest rates, insurance, you know, legal challenges, all of those other things that boards of directors and executive teams usually manage on a regular basis and are considered part of the job. And until cybersecurity is considered as an equal to those things, you're going to be working with a handicap. And it's really important to make sure that that message gets across clearly and that the rest of the stakeholders at your level and above really understand the importance of it so that they can take it into consideration with everything else they're doing. Scott, this has been great. I'd like to thank you again for your time today. It's been my pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Scott McGillibray of Pacific Continental Bank. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.